Thanks, Susie. Well, again, just a very warm good morning to you. Um, great to be here with you. Last Sunday, Easter Sunday, we finished up our Jesus the Game Changer series, and wasn't that fantastic? It was great. Received so much positive feedback, and uh, many of our groups are going to continue on. There's still some remaining studies, uh, but if you didn't get to look at the at the actual series itself, like the DVDs, please talk to Pastor Terry. He'd be more than happy to pass you a copy on, and there's so much good material there to, to look at, and um, you'll find it very encouraging. Uh, but for those who were here earlier in uh, January or February, it might have been where we did a, a series looking at our vision. We've got six vision scenarios. And uh, one week I had a picture here of a tree that Ashley beautifully drew. And I spoke about putting down deep roots. And that was the week that we were going to talk about global about mission. And so I, I mentioned then, and uh, here we are today, that we're going to come back to it after Easter. And here we are. Uh, so this is kind of the final message in our vision series, if you like. And, oh, the new batteries aren't working. <laughs> there we go. Um, so, again, just for the benefit, I'm always aware that there's often one or two, maybe more new people with us. So just for your benefit, um, our vision is to grow Christ-centered disciples. That's kind of our overarching vision statement. We then have six different vision scenarios um, that... I guess, give a picture of what that Christ-centered disciple is like. Um, the very first message for the year, for 2018, was looking at Matthew 22, and Jesus' greatest commandment um, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love your neighbor as yourself, and sort of putting this all into that framework of loving God and loving people. So the first three areas of our vision are around worship, prayer, and discipleship. They have a Godward focus, and the following three... Uh, uh, outreach, mission, and justice have a, a people focus, an outward focus, if you like. So we, as a leadership team, have really gone for the supreme pizza approach. Um, we, we've examined the scriptures, and we don't want to just take, you know, three or four aspects. We want to try and get the whole picture of the, what God calls his disciples. It, it's everything, and we can't just pick and choose. We can't just be a meat lover church. Well, we had pizza last night for dinner. That's... <laughs> We've got to, we want to be a supreme pizza church. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, sharing the message with those overseas uh, in a cross-cultural context is vitally important because it's part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So our vision scenario around this particular uh, vision area, our vision is to grow Christ-centered disciples who partner with our cross-cultural workers. Um, we will unpack this statement as we go through the message this morning. What does it mean to partner? Uh, who are our cross-cultural workers and so forth? But to begin with, I just want to quickly consider um, the overarching biblical narrative where uh, this idea is, is grounded in. And that's what we've been doing with each of these vision scenarios is you know, looking at the biblical uh, premise for why this particular scenario exists and why we believe it's an important aspect of being a a Christ-centered disciple. Christopher Wright, 
um, who is an author and a theologian, writes, the mission of God is what unifies the Bible from creation, remember the trees, creation, right, to new creation. Um, the mission of God is what kind of unifies the whole biblical narrative from Genesis 3 through to Revelation 22. And what we see is that our God is a God who is on mission. He has a missional heart. God's heart is always beating for another person that they might come to know him, that they might declare that he reigns. Now, there are all kinds of examples that we find through Scripture of this. And in fact, I remember as a a Bible college student uh, 10 years ago doing this very subject called Mission Perspectives, um, reading the Scriptures with fresh eyes, because the Scriptures were explained to me in a way that I hadn't quite understood before, and we start to see God's missional heartbeat coming right through. Now, we heard Gracie read Matthew 28 a little earlier, and many of us would be familiar with what is known as the Great Commission, where Jesus commands his disciples to go into all nations and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to follow the ways of Jesus. Um, But God's uh, first Great Commission is actually in Genesis 12, where he, he says to Abraham to go. Uh, to go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went. And so we see that right from the very beginning of the Bible, God is sending a person on mission. He is sending a person to go and be blessed to be a blessing. And so in the Old Testament, for the people of Israel, for God's people, these are the two primary things that they were set apart, that God would bless them, that they might be a blessing to those around them, and that they would actually be set apart to be a light, to be different, to be God's holy people. Now, um, they don't always, in fact, many times they fail at this. But there are plenty of encouraging examples through the Old Testament where they actually do get it right. And I was thinking of this last night. Um, remember when we spoke about Daniel uh, l- later last year? And there were two um, pagan kings, Nebuchadnezzar and Darius, who both saw the life and example of Daniel and basically said, your God is the true God. And, 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 and commands that other people worship this God. And so there is just one of many examples. Uh, Esther would be another. The examples that I'm thinking of, you might think of others, they're probably more to do with individuals. Uh, but no doubt there are also examples where the people of Israel collectively do at times get it right and people look at the way that they live. They look the way that they organize themselves and they actually enact God's justice and God's mercy and God's grace. And people look at that and they see, wow, the God you serve is radically different. And the idea then would be that they would put their faith and follow him. However, um, even with their best attempts, the people of God never really live up to this call to be a blessing to the nations and to be set apart as a light. Now, 
I mentioned, I alluded to this earlier in our service. So often, we, when, we, when we think about mission, when we think about telling others about the good news, we think about the practical steps involved. We think about either the going aspect, whether it be going somewhere overseas to cross-cultural uh, mission, or whether we think of even just going next door to our neighbour. We tend to think more about the practical aspect of either going or the, the speaking part or the deed part, you know, showing the love of God. But I wonder how often we actually think about the goal and the vision. And I don't know about you, but when I read through Psalm 96, when I I listen to the words of that song, He Reigns, it it does something to my heart. You know, I, I get this sense of excitement and this desire to see people um, recognizing that God reigns. And that's that's actually the goal of mission. Yes, we want to tell them about Christ so that they would join us in this wonderful song that all God's children are singing and will eventually sing along with creation, that our God reigns. Now, that's what the people of Israel were attempting to do, was to tell others about their God and that their God reigns. Well, as we know, and we've spoken about this before, Jesus is kind of a center point in the scriptures, and he comes and actually fulfills Israel. What do I mean by that? There are so many occasions where Israel had opportunities to demonstrate that their God was the one true God. Uh, but they failed. And so Jesus comes and, in a sense, reenacts many of the things that Israel had opportunities um, to do but failed. And Jesus comes and actually fulfills them. So let's just think for a moment about the Exodus. Um, in the Old Testament, uh, Moses, who is kind of foreshadows Christ, he's like the saviour, the redeemer type figure leads God's people out of Egypt, a place of bondage and slavery. Now, as they exit the bondage and slavery, they're actually led through the Red Sea, through the waters of baptism, if you like. They're washed, rebirthed for a purpose. You know, God did not just remove them from their place of bondage just so they could not be in bondage any longer. He actually wanted to take them and set them apart so that they could be a light to the nations. Does that make sense? The same thing happens at the cross. Jesus sees, and God sees, the the pain and the suffering of humanity because of sin in the world, that we're separated from God, that we need to be redeemed, that we need to be rescued, delivered, if you will. So Christ pays the ultimate price on the cross. And by doing so, we are rebirthed. All all who place their faith in Christ, again, in a sense, pass through the waters of baptism, the death and resurrection. Now we live free of sin and condemnation. And that is marvellous. But that's not the end goal, just to live free of, of sin and condemnation. No, God actually sent Jesus, because there's a mission, and that is that all people would come to know that God reigns. And so when we, as God's people who have been set free, get to live lives that actually do stand out, that are different, that people can look at and say, wow, there's something remarkably different about you. What is it? And we get to share the wonderful message of our faith in Christ and what he's done for us. Well, then the scriptures say, well, they join with us and say, our God reigns. 
And so we can see how Jesus is the fulfillment there of Israel. It's just one example. There are many. So Jesus comes and he continues the mission of God, which has been going right from the beginning in Genesis. But Jesus wasn't here for all that long, was he? 30-odd years and then three years of a public ministry. And then what he does is he passes the baton on to 12 men, well, 11, and then the Apostle Paul is kind of considered the 12th. Um, He passes the baton on. And all four of the gospel accounts have a great commission, if you like. Um, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, we're all very familiar with. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. John, uh, which also we heard from Gracie, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. A critical thing to note there is that we can't do God's mission. We can't be his light in the world if we don't have the Holy Spirit. The empowering of the Holy Spirit is absolutely crucial to all of this. Uh, In Luke, he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Now, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples here. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, the Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Um, Really interesting, if you go and have a look at Mark, the last chapter, Mark 16, it finishes, I think, at verse 8. And then there's, you know, some extra... Uh, ending that's in italics so that extra addition was kind of added on later it's not part of the original manuscripts basically what it is is it's Mark's great commission (laughs) Um, Mark reads differently to the other gospels and he doesn't finish his gospel with that sort of closing commission if you like and so it it appears that um, that has been added on Uh, but it's there nonetheless Uh, and then we see in Acts 1 8 But you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. It is very clear with the closing of each gospel and the opening book that kind of kickstarts the early church that this is central. This is primary uh, to followers of Jesus. And it's not something new. It's actually something that's been in motion right from the very start. Uh, So it's a continuation, a passing on of the baton, if you will, of God's plan. So the mission of God continues. God sent Jesus. Jesus sent the Spirit. Jesus and the Spirit send the church. We are effectively the sent ones. We are the sent ones. Um, I am the eldest of six. I grew up in a large family. And uh, I, Bron and I, like three boys, is way more than we can handle. I mean, we're just, we're just hanging in there. And I often wonder, how on earth did my parents survive? How did they do this? Um, and, uh, you know, life was a bit different back then. Um, the, I think the whole helicopter parenting thing wasn't as much of a, a common um, factor as it is now. Kids were allowed to roam and, and just kind of do their own thing a little bit more than what they are now. Um, but I, was, I loved riding my bike. I've always been a, a keen 
cyclist. You know, for me as a young boy, a bike represented freedom. Well, we, we, we lived reasonably close to the local shops. Um, and, uh, and I didn't have to cross any roads to be able to go to the shops. And as I, as I was thinking about this, one of the things that all the time, like forever, you know, as a parent, as, a, as an adult, you, you, there are so many times when you're like, oh, I've run out of milk, I've run out of butter, or, you know, I need to go to the shops and get this. Well, basically, I became mum's sent one <laughs> on my bike. Probably from the age of 10, I don't know, but she would equip me with cash, there was no cards in those days. Well, maybe there were, I don't know, but there was always cash. And I would ride to the local store and come back with milk or, you know, butter or whatever it might be that was required for that time. And I also remember often doing the hot chip run. where, um, where <laughs> And that was just torturous because I've got a bag of hot chips in my back. And um, that bag would all... Uh, that, that bag of paper chips, there'd always be a little hole because I'd always sneak a few. <laughs> um, but I was thinking about this as an example of being sent on a mission and being equipped, right? So I had a bike and mum had given me very specific instructions, like you're to go to the shops and you're to get, let's say, the milk. And here's the money for the milk. I've been given everything that I need to accomplish that mission. And it's the same with us as followers of Jesus, he gives us his Holy Spirit. You know, he, he, he gives us the instructions. You've got to go. Um, and, and you're now resourced and you're now equipped. So go and, and tell others. And, um, and then what will be will be. And let's allow God to actually, uh, you know, handle the outcome of our obedience and faithfulness. That's all he's asking for is an obedience and faithfulness. If we could be obedient and faithful to the call of God, then his will would be accomplished. So we are the sent ones. Now, when we think about um, going and telling others about Christ, here are some sobering facts. And today we're thinking particularly about cross-cultural mission. We're thinking about the nations, if you will. There are 42% of people on earth who have little or no chance of ever hearing about Jesus, of ever hearing about the gospel. That is because they live in countries that predominantly are of another faith. So there are no churches. There are, in many places, no scriptures. There are no Christians. And there are many people who can literally go from birth to death without ever hearing about Christ, without ever hearing about the gospel. One out of 1,800 Christians serve as cross-cultural missionaries. It's not a very popular thing to do. Um, there is, without question, severe cost involved. The total cross-cultural missionary workforce worldwide is about 400,000. Of all missionary organisations all across the globe, there are about 400,000 people who have put their hand up to say, I will go. And of those 400,000, only 3% go to unreached people groups, of which there are 12... Sorry, so that's 12,000. Out of the 400,000, 12,000 go to unreached people groups, of which there are 7,000. It's pretty sobering kind of statistics, isn't it? Now, a lot of us will say, well, I just don't feel called to go overseas. Um, 
I, that's fine. Um, but I, in a sense, everyone's been called. <laughs> we don't really get the option to say, well, it's okay because God hasn't called me. Jesus didn't say to his 12 disciples, some of you go to Jerusalem, some of you go to Samaria, and some of you go to the ends of the earth. The call for every believer of Jesus is basically to go to whatever measure is required to tell others about him everywhere. Um, I think the fact of the matter is, and I, I would certainly put myself into this category, the cost is just too high. The cost is too high. And, um, and many of us, well, many of us wouldn't even consider the cost. I was really, um, it was very heartwarming this week. I was down at Epping. There was a pastor's um, day for global interaction uh, where they just have an opportunity to share, um, you, you know, some, some, some new workers that are going out into the field, different things that are happening and so forth, and trying to, I guess, you know, encourage us to um, orientate mission to our churches more effectively and so forth. Anyway, they had a, a young lady there who was only 20, and uh, she had only recently, at age 18, become a believer, and, um, and sort of the church that she was in just kept teaching about mission and kept, like, kind of... Um, opening the scriptures, examining it through those eyes. And she just became very convicted that uh, as a believer in Jesus, I'm called to go and tell others. And she could actually, and she looked at some of these sobering facts and just kind of went, well, um, and she's obviously at a very unencumbered age and stage of her life, unmarried, um, no children and so forth. She said, there's no reason why I shouldn't go. And so I'm in Bible college and preparing myself to go and become a cross-cultural worker. I was like, wow, that's amazing. Like, how often do you hear that? Someone actually looking at it and saying, well, actually, I can't see any good reason why I shouldn't go, so I'll go. That's a very different way of of approaching it. This is in no way meant to be a, a guilt fest. Please, hear me. I don't want anyone to feel guilty. That's not the idea. But the idea is for us just to have a a broader understanding of the fact that all are called to go. Sure, that'll look different for each one of us. But there is such need, isn't there, in these unreached countries. Um, Now, Global Interaction is the Baptist sending agency that's been around for over 130 years, um, formerly known as ABMS, Australian Baptist Missionary Society. And Global Interaction, like, it feels in the Baptist world, it feels kind of big, like it's a big deal. But it's a, it's a really small fish in the scheme of things. So remember that there are 7,000 unreached people groups. Global Interaction, I mean, I think it's wonderful that they have decided that they will focus on nine. And it's so, it's wonderful that of there aren't, Obviously, there are a lot of missionary organisations that aren't focusing on unreached people groups, so it's terrific that Global Interaction are. They're focusing on nine nine unreached people groups out of 7,000. Remember, there are 400,000 cross-cultural workers in the world. Global Interaction, which is the sort of the Australian Baptist sending agency, if you like, um, so there are sort of teams in each of the states. All of the workers combined... 
who serve in these nine different people groups are around 120. So that's why they really need our support because they're not a large organisation and they're trying to do an enormously large task. And so we as, as Baptists, I guess, have a, you know, a responsibility to, to partner with them and to support the great work that they're doing on our behalf. I remember it really became apparent to me and quite exciting um, when I was doing this subject back at Mauling because I know that for myself, I'd often felt guilty that I didn't feel called or uh, perhaps I just chose not to take that route of going overseas as most Christians, it would seem, do. Um, But I became so encouraged to consider the fact that we here at the local church actually have a great opportunity to still go through others. So even though God may not call you or I, there are others, that there are people who have been obedient and who have just made that sacrifice to go. And so we then have an opportunity to partner with them. And in a sense, their going and their being sent is on our behalf. And that is, that's a game changer if we start to think of these people as those who have gone on our behalf, those who have actually paid the cost, who made the sacrifice, um, it changes the way we understand what it means to partner with and to support. Global Interaction's mission is to empower communities to develop their own distinctive ways of following Jesus. We're just going to watch a short clip that we have seen a couple of years ago, but again, for those who may be visiting or new or haven't seen it before, it's just a really helpful clip that explains what global interaction are all about and what they're trying to achieve. Thanks, Emma.
Thanks, Emma. So that's just a little bit of an overview of what global interaction do. Now, our, our statement, um, as you saw before, is partnering with our cross-cultural workers. So who are our cross-cultural workers? Well, the first family that support is the Houston family. There's a, a picture of them there. Let me just tell you a little bit about them. Uh, you know, as I've looked at some of these sobering facts this week, my level of regard <laughs> and respect for these two families has, you know, really... It, exceeded. Um, so you've got Heather, Tobias, Elijah, Rachel and Lydia. This is Houston family. A local family from the Central Coast. Um, Toby and Heather took a trip in 2007 to Africa and on that trip God just, you know, they, they, they actually went and I guess they just saw um, a completely different culture and a completely different context and God grew within them a heart um, and maybe that would happen for many of us if we actually put ourselves in some of those situations God too might give us a heart for some of us just that we've never been and it's not sort of part of our reality our everyday so that seems to be a key part of of um of having that call um the first step is learning the language they had to learn two languages again like just how do you learn another language as an adult it's really must be really hard People do it, but I just take my hat off to them. Um, so they work within the Yao of Mozambique. Now, this is one of the unreached people groups, and there is no Bible in their language. How do you actually share God's word with someone when there's no Bible in their language? And so the task that they're involved in is Bible translation. Once there's a Bible in the Yao language, then people are actually going to be able to teach from that word and people are going to be able to read it. And that's so important. So one of Toby's first assignments after learning two languages was then actually um, doing study in a Bible translation management course, which he just graduated from last year. There's a picture of the family. So this is one family that our church for some time have supported and continue to. The other family that very recent, so just only um, last year, we, we committed to supporting Paul and Naomi Dennis, and they have three kids, uh, Ryan, Abby, and Jacob. And like they've only just gone in January to central China, where they're now living. Um, they too went like it seems that something about just going to these places they too before they were married went on a, a short-term exposure trip and that God started doing a work in their hearts um, and they're going to be working among the H people of Central Asia so it seems in your first term like really important and significant work is actually learning the language and learning the culture and just integrating into um, into the way of life now when you're going to an unreached people group, you can't just rock up and say, hey, everybody, I'm here to tell you about Jesus. Uh-uh, not going to happen. You're not going to be allowed to go there. You're not going to get a visa. So to actually go and be a worker in an unreached country, you actually have to go with some sense of purpose and skill that's not mission, if that makes sense. So Paul's actually going to be working in the university, teaching English. That's, but he has, to, he has to learn the language first before he can teach the reverse. Does that make sense? So that's what he'll be doing. And, and, and what cross-cultural workers do. So Toby is he's learning to translate the scriptures, but 
Basically, they just go about life and integrate into the culture and essentially do what you and I are called to do, and that is as we go, which means as we go about our lives as followers of Christ, being husbands and wives and parents and grandparents and employees and sports people and all kinds of things, as we go about our life, we are those who have been blessed to be a blessing and we are those who have been set apart to be a light. Does that make sense? So these guys do it in these contexts because they're unreached. Um, a real blessing for Paul and Gnomes was that uh, there was actually a family who were working with Pioneers, another mission organisation, um, and there was an Australian family with three young kids who their term had just finished and they were leaving. And so there was actually a, a unit that Paul and Naomi and their family were fully furnished, for a family of five, they're able to move in. And they, again, just saw that as such a wonderful confirmation of, of God's um, blessing and um, provision for them. So what does it mean to partner with these two families? Look, these are just, these are just some thoughts. Um, firstly, obviously, it has to mean more than just lip service. It has to mean more than just talking. Um, I think it needs to mean taking a genuine interest in, firstly, who these people and these families are, like really knowing about them. Um, also, I think it means taking a really genuine interest in the people and place to which they've been sent, really understanding and knowing that, so that we can pray intelligently, not just, Lord, bless the missionaries, which is wonderful, but what are the actual prayers that we need to be praying for these families um, in the context in which they're now serving. Uh, financial support is something that we as a church are already doing. And so thank you so much for your generous giving every week. One of the things that that allows us to do is as a church give money to support these families. And I would love to see that increase. So at the moment it's $5,000 a year for each of these beautiful families. And there are lots of Baptist churches around New South Wales, ACT, that have partnered with them and combined that sort of forms their support. But wouldn't it be wonderful if we could be uh, an exceedingly generous church and, and give more to these guys in what they're doing uh, and potentially, you know, open up other avenues to support other workers as well. Uh, ongoing communication. But just like the really basic thing would be to ask them, how can we best partner with you? Um, so... We're going to wrap up now with just the, like really practical steps. So at the moment, um, we don't have a person who's the vision keeper for global mission. And we don't actually have uh, a mission team who are really focused on this and sort of really advocating on behalf of these families for the church. There are individuals who have interests, but we haven't got a team as of yet. And so here are some ways that I would see a team functioning, and I think prayer would be central, both meeting together regularly to pray for, but also educating and advocating on behalf of these families so that we as a church community um, can take this more seriously and really be partnering with these guys in every sense of the word. Um, a little bit like if you think about the role of the catalyst team in the church, it might be helpful. They educate and advocate on issues of injustice and they rally us to support them with that. Um, they raise awareness and support and they organise occasional events that are designed to highlight, inspire and challenge. So I would see that the purpose and benefit of having a mission team in the church would be to do just that, 
I think that would be wonderful. And I think it would actually create and highlight a greater culture of, of not only partnering with, but potentially sending. Um, and so I think a big ambitious goal for such a team like this would be to facilitate and be part of, at some point, an exposure trip. Because look at what happened to both of those two families when they exposed themselves to an unreached people group. God placed within them. And if we're just faithful and obedient to God's call, he will, he will call who he chooses and he will, he will work this out. Um, so just again, another step of practicality. I've invited Andrew Palmer, who is the State Director of Global Interaction, to come and have lunch here on Wednesday the 9th of May. Um, I will be contacting certain individuals, but it will certainly be an open invitation to anyone who's available and who has a desire and a heart to potentially form part of such a team. So looking forward to that happening. Is God calling you to go? Is God calling you to go? Um, I just want to leave that with you. So, this is one of our six vision scenarios. And it's really important, and I'm excited to see it grow and, uh, and to see how we can partner with these beautiful people who have taken that cost and how we can support them, but also excited to see how we can raise greater awareness and passion in the church for supporting and being a sending church. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, it's so clear to us from, from the word that you are a God who is on mission, who calls your people to join you on that mission of reaching and sharing the good news that our God reigns with all people groups of all nations, of all tribes and tongues. And Father, I pray that you would fill each one of us with that vision, that excitement of what it will look like when all of your creation, when all people's who have placed their trust in you, will declare, Lord, that you reign. And Lord, you call us and invite us to be part of that process of telling others. And thank you that we have the opportunity and privilege to partner with those who have heeded the call and have made great sacrifice to go and live lives and rub shoulders with those who may never have had the chance to hear about you and your wonderful message of salvation. I pray, Lord, that we at Erin here might be really faithful to our intent to support and partner with our cross-cultural workers. And we pray that in your good time, you may even choose to send people from this very congregation to be cross-cultural workers. Uh, Lord, we want to be obedient and faithful to you and your command to tell others about you as we go. And so I pray that you would help each one of us to figure out what that looks like. And we thank you, Father, for sending your spirit to empower us to go and do the work to which you've called us to. And give you thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.